0: Welcome to the Women of TBC podcast. You'll hear content from women's Bible studies and other women's events. For more information, visit templebiblechurch.org. Okay, for Marty and for us, All right, let's pray together. Oh God, we, we just worship you. We're in awe of you as we've studied your temple and, and just the amazing glory that filled that place. Just thinking about your glory, God, um, fills me with awe and makes me just want to to bow down and worship you. And so we join our hearts together in praise and in bringing honor to your name. And God, as we saw um, with Solomon, when we see how amazing you are, it reminds us how sinful we are. So we just, we just come and confess before you and Ask you, Father, to forgive us. We claim the blood of Jesus that continuously, you've said, purifies us from all unrighteousness. And so we just cling to that, to that forgiveness and that amazing gift of the Holy Spirit that you've given us to understand your word and to live for you and to be transformed. So we're asking you right now to just fill us with your Holy Spirit. Help us to put aside every worry and concern of the day. Um, focus our attention on you and what you have to teach us. Would you help my friend, Marty? Would you give her courage? Would you give her wisdom as she speaks? And would you teach us through her? We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Good morning. So good to see all of you out there today. It's a joy for me. Um, So I... Grew up in the northwest suburbs of Chicago in a a little town called Lake Zurich, Illinois. I come from a family of 12. So um, there's 11 of us up there. Uh, I have one perfect sibling. He died as a child, a baby, and went straight to heaven. He's the only one who has a distinction among that group of people up there. But I love them. I've learned a lot from them, what to do, what not to do. Um, My brother Jerry now has the undivided attention of my parents. It's his turn. And uh, we're excited to meet him someday. So <laughs> three years after graduating from college, I married Steve, and we started our Army family adventures together. We have two kids, Bethany and Scott. Um, Bethany is a Young Life military missionary in Germany. And Scott lives in Round Rock and works as an autism autistic behavioral specialist. So he's, he's a busy guy. Steve retired from the military. Um, in 2009, And for the next 10 years, we did youth ministry at Fort Hood together. Uh, that was a lot of fun, very challenging, but we really enjoyed that. And now we are semi-retired, living in Belton, and finally, finally have gotten to come to TBC full-time. So we're really enjoying this body of Christ. My aim this morning is to compare Solomon's building the temple in Jerusalem with Jesus being the cornerstone, capstone, and the builder of his heavenly kingdom, with each one of us being living stones. Then I will establish my word with you, which I spoke to David, your father. And I will dwell among the people of Israel, and I will not forsake my people Israel. Haley, who did a great job last week, really touched on this. Uh, Shout out to Haley. Getting up here uh, with your body, getting ready to have a baby is a huge, huge accomplishment. She did such a great job. I really enjoyed her. In 2 Samuel 7, 15 through 16, God tells David that when he died, God would raise up his descendant after him and would establish his kingdom forever. That king would build God's house. God would be a father to him. But David never lost the vision, did he? He wanted that house for God. That was his focus, so much so that he continued to collect articles and and riches to go into the temple. You know, I never really... Saw David in the word, at least concerned about what was going on in his own house. I'm sure he was, but his focus, his heart, was for building the house of God. So he continued to collect those articles. He prepares Solomon by reminding him to be strong and to show himself to be a man, to keep the charge of the Lord his God, and to walk in His ways, and to keep His statutes and His ordinances and His testimonies according to what is written in the book of the law of Moses, that he may succeed in all that he does. That's in First Kings 2.3. David has watched his sons Amnon and Absalom, and then Adonijah, as they lusted after things to their own destruction. He himself had learned the painful lessons that are the result of ignoring God's plans and purposes and laws to take what God has forbidden and he wants to give Solomon a better start. So again, he, he collects the supplies that Solomon needs. He reminds Solomon to follow God's laws and his ways. If he wants to succeed, he doesn't want to see Solomon making those mistakes that bring destruction. And then, right before he dies, he sets Solomon on the throne so that Solomon doesn't have to um, fight that fight. His throne is secured before David even passes away. And Solomon begins well. He shows godly wisdom. When God asks him what he would like for God to give him, he pleases God by choosing wisdom instead of riches and and glory and honor for himself. Because he realizes the weight of leading the nation of Israel. He sets clear boundaries. He acts swiftly when those boundaries are crossed. He forms alliances with David's old friends. And he builds a magnificent temple for God. And then God honors Israel by agreeing to inhabit a temple that can never really fully contain his glory. As Solomon dedicates this temple, he wisely focuses on glory and the power of God rather than the strength and the beauty of the building. And it's quite a building. It was a wonder of the world during that time. It inspired awe in all that came in it. From the, but from the very beginning, this building of mortar, gold, bronze, wood, and beautiful tapestry was never meant to be the final word on God's dwelling place with his people. For even in all of its glory, it was destined for destruction. Isaiah 28:16 says, Behold, I am laying at Zion a stone, a tested stone, a costly cornerstone and for the foundation firmly placed. He who believes in it will not be disturbed. Psalm 118, 22 and 23 says, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. And then Matthew 21. I'm back. Matthew 21, 42 and 44 says, Jesus said to them, did you ever read the scriptures? The stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone. This came about from the Lord and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. And whoever falls on this stone will be broken. And on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. As we pause here for a minute, we see that this chapter, Jesus is talking to the religious leaders of the day. They were the builders. They were rejecting the very Messiah that they have been waiting centuries for. They were teaching about the Messiah. They were looking for the Messiah to come and deliver them. But when he came in God's image and not in the image that they had created for themselves, they rejected him. They thought that the Messiah would come as this glorious king and physically conquer the governments of the world and that they would be set up as rulers with him. Jesus will come as a glorious king for sure someday. But they completely missed the fact that first he would come as a suffering servant. And he would teach them what God's kingdom really is. And then he would die on the cross for the sinful hearts of mankind. He would open up heaven for all of us who called on his name. His birth and death and resurrection would begin the new covenant. The old covenant was based on laws and rules that required animal sacrifices each and every year to cover the sins of the people. It was never intended for that covenant to be permanent. He sent his son to die on a cross so that sin would be atoned for once and for all. And instead of inhabiting brick and mortar, God himself would inhabit his people through his son and through the Holy Spirit. When you think about this, I, I was at a Nancy Guthrie conference this past weekend, and she pointed out that God always went with his people. He was there with them in the garden When they were in tents in the wilderness, God was in a tent in the wilderness surrounded by his people. When they were in homes, houses built with stone and mortar in Jerusalem, he then had a house built with stone and mortar. And when the temple was destroyed, or when God left the glory of the temple because of the sin of the people, because the people had been put into captivity in Babylon, he went east, which was where Babylon was he be moving into captivity with his people. He was never far away. He never is far away. His people would become the stones, and God of the universe would be, be, would be the builder. Well, no, no wonder they missed that. Their worldly, flesh, fleshly, prideful minds and hearts could not even begin to comprehend God's redemptive, redemptive plans. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that so whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Well, how were the builders supposed to be rock stars and something like that, in a kingdom like that? They had to get rid of the cornerstone. So instead of being broken in humility before the cornerstone, they stumbled on it, and they were crushed underneath it. Jesus is the perfect cornerstone on which God's kingdom is built. He is also the capstone which crowns the kingdom with glory and perfection. The beginning and the end, the first and the last. 1 Peter 2, 1 through 5 says, Therefore, putting aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisy and envy and slander, like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word, that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord, and coming to him as to a living stone rejected by men, but choice and precious in the sight of God. You also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood, to offer up the spiritual sacrifices acceptable for God through Jesus Christ. We are the stones. We're the living stones that Jesus is using to build his kingdom. He's the master builder who has created us in his image for his glory and purpose. As living stone, what is our purpose? What is our function? And how can we bring glory and honor to the God of the universe? Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's handiwork. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. What are our good works? And how do we become these living stones that are useful in the master's building plans? The entire Bible teaches us what that looks like. Every chapter and verse is written to shape us, to prepare us as living stones. His word is living. His living word creates living stones filled with the Holy Spirit of the God of the universe that come together to form God's church, and the gates of hell will never prevail against it. We begin by following what Jesus called the greatest commandment. He quoted a verse in Matthew 22 that was originally given by Moses in Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 5. Matthew 22, 38 and 39, you are to love the Lord with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. This begins our journey. As Jesus said that all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. When we walk in this truth, the world will oftentimes turn away from us. It's too narrow of a way. We've not followed the progressive morality of our day. The world and even some of its churches have tried to redefine sin when God alone determines what sin is and what sin isn't. The foundations of sexuality and marriage and family and truth are being shaken. Jesus said that the road ahead of us of his true disciples would be a narrow one, that we would have tribulation and trouble in this world. It can be a lonely road at times, but as living stones, we stay together and we serve him on this earth. You know, when you look back to when Israel got Israel got into trouble and ended up in ca- captivity, it's because their kings allowed idolatry into their land. Not only did they begin to follow idols, they would force the people to follow them as well. God's truth began to fade out, fade away. And every single time that, pro- that progression would begin, destruction followed. And yet we see it. It's the way that the enemy brings down pe- the people of God and a country de- delivered over to God, starting that way. We, as his body, have the responsibility to remain steadfast as living stones. That's our role. We are to therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that God has commanded us. And surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 24 through 29, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash." This comes at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus takes what the law said and redefines the picture of what it really truly means to be a servant of the king. It's not following a bunch of rules and regulations. It's a heart. It's wanting to stay so far away from sin that instead of just not wanting to commit adultery, You you don't even want to look at something that's lustful. It's turning away from the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. It's putting our eyes on the Lord and wanting what he wants more than what we want. It's totally different on that Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus said it's really important. Not that we do those things to earn our salvation. That's not it. We've got our salvation as we surrender our lives to jesus christ he will love us his love is perfect he loves you today just as much as he loved you the day you were born and he's going to love you the same because it can't get any bigger or better he loves us but how do we love him well that's what jesus said if you want to love me obey me that's how we love him it's a relationship it's a two-way street This is our builder, giving us the words that we need as living stones to stand firm in the tempestuous world that we live in. When the storms of this life rage, the enemy will never stop trying to pull us from God's work in our lives. And let's be be honest with one another. I sometimes picture in my head this stone sprouting legs and jumping off the wall because they want to run off and go chase after the wind, right? Do we do that sometimes? We kind of look sideways at the stones around us and think, I want to change places with that stone. I think I could do it better. (laughs) Right? We kind of shout criticisms out to the stones that God is using around us as they try to fulfill God's purposes, but we're thinking, yeah, but they're not doing it right. I would do it this way. It would be so cool, really. We start whisper campaigns to the stones around us to undermine our fellow stones that the building is working in and through. Well, why do these things happen? They happen because we take our eyes off the builder and we put our eyes on ourselves or we put our eyes on the stones around us or we put our eyes on the attacks that are coming up against the wall, forgetting that the gates of hell can never prevail against the living stones as we work in the hands of the Builder. We may put our eyes on the storms around us instead of the God of the universe. We need to allow God to place us where he sees fit and to use us for our good and his glory. We, th- we need to surrender body, mind, and soul to the will of the Builder. We're to have unity through the power of the Holy Spirit because he resides in us and makes us living stones. We are not only living stones, we're moving temples. We're not weighed down with brick and mortar, but like the tabernacles in the wilderness moving as God directs and taking him to the lost and broken of the world around us. It's such a beautiful picture of God's master plan. When we see the living stones working together for God's glory, guided by his Holy Spirit, we see the body of Christ shining like a thousand suns. The living stones are everywhere. You've seen them. See him at the at the doctor's office. You see him in the hospital. I went to prison with my friend Linda on Monday and I saw them in in a a room. So excited that we had come. Linda mostly. They didn't even know me. Trust me. But then those two years that, that no one could go because of COVID, they hadn't stopped. Those living stones were still shining. They were working together. They were having Bible study. They were watching the chosen. They were encouraging each other. And you know what they're Prayer requests were. We're really concerned, they said, about Afghanistan. We really want to pray for them. These ladies are in prison. They're not complaining about the guard who's being unkind, or the fact that they're away from their families and they can't get to their kids who are struggling. Those things were on their hearts, and we pray for those things. But their hearts were for the the people in Afghanistan, stuck behind when, when after the planes left, worried about their future. What a heart, what a living stone in the midst of a prison where some of us may have ta- really hard times shining for Jesus. The living stones are always moving. God may put you on a wall here. He may put you on a wall there. It's probably not going to stay the same. Military life taught me that. I was pretty set in my ways living in Illinois with all my siblings. Loved all my nieces and nephews. Thought being there was going to be the rest of my life. And then I met Steve. And we decided to get married. And I thought, that's okay. He'll get out of the army, and he'll live here in Illinois. (laughs) That was not God's plan. We moved for the next 27 years. And every time we moved, God had a a different place. The one I want to talk to you about today is our move to Wiesbaden, Germany. Bethany was three and four. God hadn't made an appearance yet. He would. And she said, Mom... She had, um, I had gone to chapel. My, our family went to chapel. I was involved with ministry over there. But Bethany, with a friend, had gone to a, a, a church off post and was doing Awana. I had no idea what Awana was. Bethany went. She came back. She seemed to love it. I would help her with her little Awana cubby book to learn her verses that were down to maybe three words. And she said, Mom, if we're going to move to Germany, I just want to go where there's an Awana. I'm like, oh, okay, we'll pray about that. So we prayed. That, that move began to show me what God would do to answer Bethany's prayers. That's a long story. We're not going to get into that, but this is just one instance. And we got to, to Germany, and we were in a place called Wiesbaden, Germany, the only place in all of Germany <laughs> that had an Awana program in the Army chapels. The Air Force chapels had them, but not the Army chapels. So there we were, Wiesbaden, Germany, And I got in and I was so excited and I told the chaplain, this is great. Bethany prayed just to be in a place with an awana, and here you are. And he said, I'm so glad to hear you say that because we're all ready to get started. But you know what? The only position not filled is the commander and I put you in that position. (laughs) And I thought to myself, that's ridiculous. I don't know anything about Iwana. And I thought, and here's the other thing. All those other ladies that got here first pick different roles. What do they know that I don't know? (laughs) And did the chaplain ask me? No, this is the army. They just put you there. Okay. Even if you're a civilian, they'll just put you there. And I thought, Lord, you have got it. I don't mind being your stone or in your hands, but this is a mistake. I don't know anything about this ministry except for what's in the cubby book, and I'm not sure that I can do this but I didn't have much of a choice. If we were going to have an Awana program, it had to have a commander, and I guess I was it, last one in town. <laughs> and But it, what it did is it forced me on my face before the Lord. And as we got started, I realized he had prepared me. The ministry that I helped with at my church before I got married, was funct- it, it functioned kind of like an Awana ministry without just kind of the way it ran. So I kind of got a picture then as we went along. And God began to work, not through me so much, but through the, all the other folks who were there. And It was just a really fun three years of watching God move and work in the lives of his people and answer a prayer of a four-year-old living stone. Don't, look, don't ever look past the way God hears the prayers of your children. He'll turn your whole family on his ear. To answer those prayers, those living stones, those little living stones. So getting back to our friend Solomon, who while building this beautiful temple, one of the wonders of the world, and glorifying God as he dedicated that building, as if, as, as he needed to do, he was also busy sowing the seeds of his destruction at the very same time. He married foreign women, something that God had forbidden. They were not to marry women that were in idolatrous countries. And it was introduced those very demonic gods, into Israel. He ignored God's warnings to the lust of his eyes and the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. He began the downhill slide of Israel that resulted in the total destruction of the very temple he was building, the downfall of the nation, and the deportation of its people. And then the Jewish religious leaders also. They were attempting to build a nation, overthrow the enemy, prepare for the Messiah, at the very same time as they were doing all of these things, they murdered that Messiah, which began the downfall of their nation again, put into motion the destruction of that very rebuilt temple. And in the midst of all this, God himself, the perfect builder, was building his kingdom with a perfect cornerstone, a perfect capstone, and filling living stones with his spirit. While perfecting them through his perfect son. Jesus said that if we loved him, we would obey him. You know, the, the interesting thing about Jesus is he's always the perfect culmination of the shadow. God doesn't have any perfect stones. He didn't have them back then. He doesn't now. But everything always was leading up to the perfect priest, perfect builder, the perfect king, he is the perfect one, and now he's our perfect builder. And even though we are not perfect stones, if we'll keep our eyes on the builder, he will still use us for his glory. John, 1 John 2, 3 through 6 says, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. While those are strong words, but the Apostle John wasn't mincing words when when he started writing to the young church. If we're going to be living stones, then we need to live as Jesus lived so that we can be used by the hands of the builder to build a kingdom that can never be destroyed. We get distracted sometimes, just like Solomon did. He's busy building a beautiful home for himself and for his wife while getting the temple finished. His home, by the way, was bigger, took longer, but, you know, it's, that's what we do sometimes. We get distracted from the work God has for us, and we get all focused in on other things. But we build our house on the rock as we grow in our relationship with Jesus. You know, when when Solomon prayed over the temple, he prayed that when people sin, because we all sin and fell away, they would turn back to the temple and humble themselves in repentance and ask for forgiveness and be cleansed so that they could go on. We do the same thing. We don't have a building that we turn to, but we turn to the builder. We get on our face before the Lord and we ask for his grace and for his mercy. And he will give that to us. He's always ready to extend that to us. And then we need to remember something. We need to remember to extend that same grace that God gives to us, to those people around us. Sometimes we forget that. But when we keep our eyes on Jesus and we see his holiness, then our own need for grace becomes very evident to us. And then we will share his love for those that we come into contact with, with, and we will allow him to lead the way. So we're going to close. We're going to read together a responsive reading with 1 Corinthians 13. We often use this in marriage ceremonies. But it's not just for marriage ceremony. And it's something that I have used repeatedly as I try to remind myself how to love. When I get frustrated with a family member, or I get frustrated with somebody around me, or I'm frustrated by just about anything, I remember that I'm supposed to love the Lord my God, with all of my heart, all of my mind, all of my soul, and all of my strength, and love my neighbor as myself. And then I go on further to quote to myself these words to remind myself what love looks like. I'd love to tell you that I just have it nailed now, but it's just not true, but I'm not going to give up because I love my Savior, and I want to do what he tells me to do. So let's stand up together, and I'm going to read part of this, and then you'll read the underlined portion, okay? If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, and it keeps no record of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Lord, we're thankful for your love. And just as the nation of Israel, the temple, what you did for the armies of the living God brought glory to you and drew nations to your glory, I pray that we as your temple, as your living stones, as we work together with all sizes and shapes and colors under the rainbow, beautiful living stones, and the kingdom of our God, I pray that we can bring you glory, that we can honor and glorify your name, and that we can draw all the nations to you because of your love that never fails. And we ask these things, O Lord Jesus, in your holy and your precious name, amen.
0: Join me in thanking Marty this
1: morning.